We are in the middle of a series called the Moaz, the mother of all sermons, and it's about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through verse by verse, and I'm coming to the realization that we will probably be on the Sermon on the Mount for the next eight years because there's so much rich content. The, the, the verse that we're going to tackle today is one verse out of the entire sermon, and I'm going to spend at least two weeks on it. And uh, it's, just, it's just rich stuff. The, the movie quote that you just saw, or the movie clip that you just saw contains one of my favorite quotes of all time, and we'll get to it in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about brain balloons. I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's times in my life where my brain just takes off with me and kind of carries me. And, and it, it, it tends to happen at night a lot. I, I have this tendency, and I, maybe I've shared this with you guys before, but I have this tendency as I'm getting ready for bed at night, thinking, well, that's one more day gone. I'm that much closer to dying. How did I do today? You know, I, I process my day with this concept that I only have this limited amount of days. And as I get older, I'm 46 years old now. And as I, as I get older, it seems like those days go a little bit faster every single day. Every single day, I'm, I'm there taking my shower, getting ready for bed, and it, it's just gone. And I have this tendency to evaluate, how did I do? How did I do as a pastor that day? How did I do as a husband that day? Or as a father that day? Or as a friend? Or as just a human being? Or, 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 or my health? How did I take care of my health? And there's days that I beat myself up and think I did a really lousy job, and there's days that I think, well, you know, today was a pretty good day, or something, something interesting or neat happened. But I've found that kind of my nights sometimes are haunted by this question, am I doing okay? I've, I've come to realize this about myself, that in my past, and especially related to some of the adult, adults that invested in my life, there was a lot of disapproval there. Uh, I, I, had, I had some people that loved me very much and invested in my life heavily, but there was always this sense that I, I was never added up. I never, never was quite what I ought to be. And, and, and I find that maybe it's a result of that, or maybe it's an accumulation of a lot of things, but I find myself kind of asking this question all, all the time. It's like a brain balloon that wants to take me away. Of, I have to be better. I have to, be, I have to do what's right. I have to do what's good. I have to spend my life with purpose. I have to change the world. I have to make sure all those people around me, that their lives are changed and they're good. And I can put all this tremendous pressure on myself to, to, to add up. And on my worst of days, it gets pretty ugly and pretty miserable. And on my best of days, I, I feel, feel okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I suffer from clinical anxiety or depression, which I understand is, is a huge concern in a lot of people's lives. But there are nights that I can't sleep, for sure. When I ask myself this question, am I doing okay? And depending on your situation, you might ask all kinds of similar questions to my love. Will we be okay? You know, finances are a concern. You may be asking this question, or will my job last, or do we have security? How are we going to make ends meet? Or you ask yourself, what about this problem or that problem? There's, there's something going on in your life that you're focused on, and your brain balloon wants to just drag you into that thing. And, make, and, and sometimes that thing can, can, can take you into heights you never imagined, where you're just, you start to believe nothing is going to be all right, and anxiety and depression starts to well up. And, and that can get pretty ugly pretty fast. Or why am I like this? If you're not a big fan of yourself, you might. You might ask that kind of question. You might just beat yourself up all the time. Or just why? Why, why, why? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why did this person say that to me? Why is my work situation the way it is? And you can lay in bed, eyes wide open and unable, unable to kind of function. And maybe you relate to this quote that I saw this week from Sarah Daly on her Twitter account. I, I don't know who she is. This is great news. I found the cure for my anxiety. All I need is for everyone I know to tell me definitively that they aren't mad at me once Every 15 seconds, forever. You might, you, might, you might lay in bed at night thinking, why is everybody 
how to get me. Why, why does it sound so like me? Or I said something stupid to so-and-so today, and, and oh, gosh, I just feel so terrible about that. And that's what consumes you, and, and, and it, it, it messes with your peace, which is the topic of today. And then you add to that COVID and money stuff, health stuff, homeschooling, work pressure, and caring for others. You know, I've heard of families that care for, for their elderly parents for years and years and years as they decline. And that's just added pressure on top of normal, everyday pressure of, do I add up? Am I loved? Why, why, why? So there's these external pressures that act on, there's these internal pressures that are there constantly in your life. Your life can be fantastic and amazing in that internal pressure. For some reason, it can still just eat you alive. I saw this, or I heard this music quote, this lyric from Modus Fira. He has an album called Divorce, and she, I believe just in the lyrics that she went through a painful divorce. And the whole album is about that. She says in the song, Bed, sometimes I don't know if I'm healing or hiding away. So I'll just pull these sheets over my head. And stay in bed, basically. The whole song is just about, I can't put one foot in front of the other. I can't get my feet on the ground. And, and if you're anything like me, there's days you feel like that, and there's days you feel like jumping out of it. And for some of you, maybe, maybe, maybe these days are preeminent in your life. You have more days where you don't want to get out. You have more days where you feel like the world's against you. Why? 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 I have good news. There's a place called Insomnia Cookies that you can order when you can't sleep. This is, uh, this is here in Louisville, so if you live anywhere near the, near the Louisville campus, if you're having one of those nights where you're bright-eyed and bush-tailed and wide awake and you can't, you can't function, and insomnia cookies stays awake until 3 a.m., so you can order cookies. Because what you need when you can't sleep at 2.30 in the morning is more sugar and caffeine, right? That's what you need. They, 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 their whole marketing campaign caters to those that can't lay down at night. And I, I would say this is actually very unhealthy for you, but you do you. But there's my favorite, one of my favorite quotes in any movie that you just saw from, night, uh, from First Night. And he says, there's a, there's a peace that can only be found on the other side of the wall. And we, we have this tendency to not fight for peace. We mire. We get mucked up and we kind of revel in our anxiety or depression. And I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I, I don't in any way, shape, or form want to say that I have the answer for, for, for clinical illness. You know, if you have biochemical situations in your body that you need professional help with. But for the everyday average Joe that just can't sleep at night because of all the whys, all the ifs, I think God wants to deal with that stuff. And, and, and I think Sean Connery's character, King Arthur in this movie, was right on. It means fighting a battle. This is not something that's just going to come to you. It's not something that is, is just going to rot. Like one night you're saying, oh, all that is gone. You're going to fight a battle your whole life. You're going to fight and fight and fight people's opinions of you your entire life. You're going to fight and fight and fight financial pressure your entire life. You're going to fight and fight and fight providing for your children or providing for your parents or, or whatever. This is, this is life as we know it. And it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Peace doesn't just arrive. In fact, when you're in a battle and you're fighting, if it was literal war, something happens to trigger peace. A, a battle is fought, and battles are won. And I want to encourage you today that I think, I think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount encourages you to fight that fight. Don't give in to what wants to hold you down and keep you awake at night. Don't give in to what wants to consume your soul with dissatisfaction. You have to fight the fight. So in the Beatitudes, and we're skipping one, actually. Uh, my good friend Joseph Bond is going to cover... Uh, blessed for the pure in heart for us next week. I have a, 
an out-of-town family wedding that I'll be attending coming in late. Um, so we're actually reversing the order of the two verses. But in Matthew 5, chapter 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We're going to parse out this word peacemakers in just a second. Guy Jathani, in the book that we've been referring to, says people who avoid the difficult and costly work of forging real reconciliation are peacemakers. He's saying, so when we say peacemaker, we're talking about something who, somebody who constructs something. A maker is someone who does something, who works towards something. So a peacemaker is one who makes peace, not one who waits on peace, not one who thinks peace is just going to fall in their lap. But Jesus refers to those who will actually do something to increase the peace in their life, not, and not only in their life, but in the lives of those around them, and, and ultimately in the lives of the world, because the world is... The, is constructed of people. And so I want to encourage you to climb Mount Peace. Are we talk peace, peace is like this elusive thing that, that very few people, in my opinion, really get a hold of. Uh, you, might, you might have it for moments of your life. There may be days when the music plays louder in your head and life just seems great, but then there, there's days where it feels lousy at all. Much, much more lousy than that. Peace, I think, I think of Mount Peace getting up to the top of the pinnacle and seeing the world for what it is, and, you know, what do you, what do, you do at the top of a mountain? You start taking pictures, right? Because it's something you want to memorialize forever. Is the feeling of being on a mountain and seeing everything out in front of you, breathing the fresh air. It's a, it's a magical moment in a person's life. But nobody arrives at a mountaintop by accident. It doesn't happen. You have to climb Mount Conflict to get there. If you think peace is just going to fall in your lap, you're, you're probably thinking incorrectly. You're going to have to work for it. It's going to take putting one step in front of another to climb to the summit. But most people want to hang out at base camp, which is Camp Boyd. You want to just mind, you want to order the cookie at 2.30 in the morning. You want to have that power that just shows up. You want to order the cookie at 2.30 in the morning. You, 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 you turn to pornography or, or substances or video games or, or whatever it is that you turn on turn towards food would be one thing that people turn. Uh, so, sometimes it's, it's, turn, it's turning towards conflict with others, like trying to create fight so that you can feel somehow better about yourself. Cutting is something people turn towards. But they're avoiding the, real, the mountain. They're avoiding the conflict that they have to, have to climb in order to arrive at peace. And, and I think a peacemaker is someone who doesn't live out at base camp. A peacemaker is someone who climbs that mountain who does the work necessary to arrive at the pinnacle, to arrive at the summit. I saw this this week. Peace is not our natural state. We exist in a world. We, we exist in a world that's hard. It, it, you constantly have to fill your belly. You constantly have to have water, for example, which means you fight a battle every single day. You don't. Maybe these aren't battles that you think about. Just, just your body and the decay in your body causes you to fight a war every single day. And then you add to that relationship, and then you add to that money problem, and then you add to that people who are dependent on you. And it, it, it's a war. We're, we are at war. And Sean Connery would say there's a peace that only comes on the other side of that war. It's fighting that war and fighting it well. But it's a hard-fought victory. So let's talk about what it is. What are, we, what are we referring to when we talk about peace and being a peacemaker? There's this Greek word, ereno poioi, real fun to say. And this is, this is the word peacemaker in Greek. Blessed are the arenopoioi, for they shall be called sons of God. And we're going to parse out this word arenopoioi, because it's a really 
really spectacular word. And I think it'll add a lot to our conversation about how do you climb the Mount Peace. It's two words, really. Arene, which you're going to hear a lot about here in just a moment, and Poyeo. And these two words, when you put them together, do something really, really amazing. So let's start with Arene. Arene, uh, the Greek listeners, so when Jesus said, blessed are the Arene Poyoi, the Greek listeners would have instantly keyed, on, keyed in on that Arene. Arene was the name of one of the Greek goddesses, and she was the goddess of peace. And so when a Greek person heard it, they would have thought of these statues and, and temples and such that were dedicated to the goddess Arene. And in this, picture, in this particular picture, you see her uh, symbolized with a, a scepter in one hand and what's called a cornucopia in the other. And a cornucopia is, of course, a symbol of abundance when it comes to food, right? When you see a cornucopia, it's usually Thanksgiving time, and there's pumpkins and squash and, and corn rolling out of the cornucopia. And so, so anytime you see a symbol of her, you see a scepter in one hand, which indicates leadership, and a cornucopia in the other. Or you'd also see a torch or what's called a riton. So, so anytime you saw a, a, a statue of the goddess Irene, you would have a scepter, a riton, a torch, or a cornucopia. And all of these are symbolic of order, peace, fullness. Cornucopia means your belly's always full. The riton is actually like a water skin, only it's more cornucopia shaped. So it, it, means, it means you have all the water you need. You have all the fresh, clean water you need. The torch means you have all the light you need. Darkness is dispelled. And so when the Greeks heard Erene, this is where their mind was, to abundance, to fullness, to satisfaction, to no fear, to all my needs are met. And she was also known as the goddess of spring. So this, this means the end, of, the end of winter, right? It means the crops are on the way. It means the ground is going to be no longer hard and frozen and difficult, but it's going to start to flourish and come alive. When the Greeks heard this word arene, that's what they would have thought of. The coming of spring. Winter is over at last. The cold weather is gone. The warm weather is coming. The cornucopia, the writing, the scepter, and the torch. That's the word the Greeks would have, those are the words the Greeks would have thought of. And it's, arene is also closely related to this Hebrew word shalom. And shalom you may be more familiar with if you've been around Christian circles for very long at all. And shalom means peace, but it's this different kind of peace, not just the absence of war which is often what we think of when we think about peace. Peace is something else. And, and there's this passage in uh, Job where he talks about, you shall know that your truth is at Shalom, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing, or inspect your flock and miss nothing. So a person was at Shalom when they went out, and all their sheep were there. No sheep were missing. Shalom and Irene both kind of, kind of mean nothing missing. There's nothing broken. There's nothing shattered. There's nothing fractured. Shalom and Irene mean the same thing. It means fullness, soundness, fulfillment. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about being a peacemaker. I heard this. Shalom and war means not just a cessation of fighting, but working together for one another's benefit. So there might be two countries that have been at war for a very long time, and they say, hey, we're not going to fight each other anymore. We're not going to kill each other anymore. And sometimes we would call that peace. But Shalom takes it one step forward. It says, now we are unified. Now we work together. We help each other with our economy. We, we work across the border. And so Shalom has a much deeper meaning than we're just not fighting. There's more to it than that. So ultimately, this word arene means fullness, health, restoration, get prepared, get right, as intended, or complete. So when Jesus says, blessed are the arene poyoi, he's saying, blessed are the ones who make things complete. 
Blessed are the ones who make things have solidarity. Blessed are the ones who make things as they were intended to be. It goes way beyond just a moment of comfort. It's like a lifestyle of restoring everything. It's the kingdom of God coming to earth, and we play a part in it. And then poyo, which is the next word, erene poyo, poyoi, the derivative is poyeo. And poyeo is this word that means creation or creator, uh, manufacturer, constructor, but it has a, this very artistic sense to it. And so uh, you see a music artist on the street, they are poyeo. They are creating something, and, and, and it's creating something that was not there before. It was absent, then they showed up on the scene, and it arrived. But it's something birthed out of them, like art. If you read Greek commentaries on this word, it's something that can't be helped. It means, i got to do this thing. i got to create this thing. You know, I, I've been around Andrew and, and Paul enough to know that as musicians, they've got to create music. They've got to write lyrics. They've got to, they've got to create the chord structures and, and birth the songs. And those, things, those songs were not there. And then all of a sudden they were there and they were birthed out of them because they couldn't help it. They are artists. They are musicians. And so it comes out of them. And so when we talk about being a peacemaker, we're talking about those who restore things out of their soul. That's who they are. That's their identity is what we're talking about here. It says trees producing fruit is a good, is a good example of this word. Or the work of artists, philosophers, or poets. There was not a poem and then there was a poet, because the poet couldn't help it. It birthed out of the poet like an orange grows on an orange tree. Or, it, or, or, or philosophy and thinking comes out of a philosopher. The, po the poem was not there, and then it was there. So when we start to combine these words, what we find is, blessed are the ones who it births out of them restoration. It births out of them healing. It births out of them solidarity and completeness and the original intent. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I, read, I read that and I think that and I think, but that's not me. I can't be that. I, I want to be. That sounds great. Give, give it to Give me, give me, give me. But how do I get it? And it says, it says in this, so Jesus says, blessed are the ones who, the, the artists who complete things. But then he says, for they will be called sons of God. This is a picture, and, and I know you can't see it very well back there, but this is, the one on the left is me in 1975 or 76. I was about two years old. And the one on the right is my son Riggs uh, yesterday or the day before. And maybe you can't see it up back there, and maybe it won't register the same as you, but I see me and him. I mean, I see a picture of him now, and I, I think, holy smoke, there's no denying. I'm the dad. This is good news, right? When it says they will be called sons of God, it means that God's DNA has been planted in them. It means the ones who are the artists that bring healing to the world, those are the ones who look the most like their father. They're the ones who represent God. And when you look at them, you see God and you're amazed. You're amazed that this thing has been planted in them. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes is you may think you don't add up. You may think I can't do this or I will never be that person. The good news is you don't have to be. This war you fight is not a fight like a traditional fight where you, you know, hold up your fist and work hard enough to win something. It's, it's a war that's already been won, and all you have to do is let it happen. It's, 
the, the climb is much easier than you would think. So let's talk about how we get it. <laughs> a, few weeks, a, a couple weeks ago, we had a first-time visitor here at church, and after the service, she said to me, she said, do you, do you use the Bible much when you preach? <laughs> because that day I had not, I, I think I had quoted like two Bible verses like off the top of my head, and and I, it, was, it was a day when I had used like physical notes, which I've only done twice in my history as a preacher that I can think of. And I skipped a line, which the entire line was Revelation 21. And we were going to go through verse by verse and talk about Revelation 21. And I just skipped that line because I'm not used to using notes. And so I had to, at the end of the day, say, well, I, I, I like the Bible a whole lot. And I, I'm going to get the Bible out there for you guys. But this particular day, I just completely dropped the ball. So I'm going to make up for it today. We're going to talk a, a lot about some scripture. Here we go. So how do we get it? How do we get this, this Irene Poyoy? How do, we, how do we become a peacemaker? And I think as you study the scriptures, and you study Irene, how many times this word peace shows up, you're going to see a pattern. And I want you to watch for that pattern in these passages and see, see if at the end of these passages, you can kind of put two and two together and figure out how do we get a hold of this? How do I become a peacemaker? How do I become the artist that poetically peace just flows out of me and I want to see things restored and I want to see things in their original intent. I think even in the first verse it's going to be really clear. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been, have been brought close. For he himself is our peace. When Jesus was pronounced, the angels appeared to a bunch of shepherds out in the field saying, the Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. And this is what they said. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, before he died, said this to his disciples. Peace, this is Irene. Every, every single one of these examples is Irene. Restoration, wholeness, soundness. He says, soundness I leave with you. My soundness. I give peace. And then a collection of verses that I think will solidify this. That we used to, back in the 1990s, there was this song called Romans 1619. Anybody ever heard that song? I would, I would expect Andrew would be the only person in the room who has this song. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, the, mu- the music in the 90s. But it would say, Romans 1619 says, Romans 1619 says, this is a song, and I'm not going to sing it to you. It says, be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil. And then it goes on to quote Romans 16, 20, which says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And everybody in the audience would jump up and... I don't know why, but there was a kick drum, a boom. It was like the whole room would go boom. So it would say, God will crush Satan underneath your feet. Boom. And you'll see in this passage, what does it say of God? What kind of God is he? A God of Irene, of restoration, wholeness, soundness, fulfillment, the original intention. It says God is that God. Romans 15.33 says the God of peace be with you all. Philippians 4.9 says the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Hebrews 13.20, may the God of Irene equip you with every good thing to do his will. So, when we put two and two together, when we start putting all these passages together, what, what, what do you think Scripture's answer is for where this peacemaking center, this poet, poet or philosopher or artist that's supposed to be buried inside of you, where does it come from? 
Anyone? God, Jesus. It's Him. It's Him planted in you. You can't manufacture peace. You can't, you can't lay in bed at night. You can help. You can breathe. I've been, I've been studying the heart rate and how when you breathe in, the heart rate goes up. And when you breathe out, the heart rate goes down. And so you can learn to slow your breathing and slow your heart rate. But is that really peace or is that just a reduced heart rate that's helping you maybe on the road to peace? Peace is not something you can manufacture. Peace is a gift that comes from somewhere else. Restoration, wholeness, soundness, these are not things that you can just get a hold of because you want them. It's, it's, it's a battle that someone else has fought. I've said many times from this pulpit that when Jesus did miracles, there was something literal that occurred and something figurative that was alluded to. So, for example, when he touched a blind person's eyes, he literally physically opened their eyes. But he was speaking to a greater metaphysical reality that that's what he does. Is people who are in darkness, he gives them light. When people fed five, when Jesus fed five thousand people with a few fish and loaves, he, he literally, explicitly, fed those those people with food and filled their bellies. But figuratively, he was saying, "I will nourish you. I am your source of life." In every miracle Jesus ever did, you see both the, the literal and the figurative. And there's this one miracle he did that alludes to, that I think connects with this passage from Isaiah chapter fifty-seven. In Isaiah 57, it says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. When I read this verse, it, it reminded me of those times that, that I lay at bed at, in bed at night and I can't sleep because my brain balloon is taking me places I don't even want to go. And typically, I'm not very centered on Christ at that moment. Typically, I'm centered on me. I'm, I'm, I'm centered on who likes me or who doesn't like me or whether I'm, I'm good or whether I add up or, or whether I'm going to be able to solve this problem the next day or whether my thought, and it, it's, it's very, and we can, we can think about the word wicked and what that means, but in this passage, I'm just going to talk about it, meaning those, those who are not God, they don't have God at the center, right? And it says those that don't have God at the center are tossed to and fro and stirring up muck and mire. And then you see this miracle of Jesus where he replies, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? So he does this literal miracle, walking on water and calming the storm. Because he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The literal thing that happened was he calmed a storm, a physical, literal storm. But the figurative message that he was trying to say is, is I, can, I can fix that brain balloon. The turmoil in your life, the, the chaos that's going on, the stuff that you can't... If you've ever been hit by a wave, you know it just turns you over and over and over, and there's nothing you can do about it. He's saying, I can fix that. I can calm that. This stuff is a gift from God. So when we say, how do we get it? We're going to go back to the slide with Sean Connery on it, because, hey, Sean Connery, it's a hard-fought victory in a battle we don't fight. Climbing the mountain, thankfully, in this, in this context, doesn't mean working so hard to make sure that now you have peace. It doesn't mean buying the right equipment and grinding it out to get to the top. What it means is there's somebody already at the top who has won the victory, who has done the work, and his hand is extended to you. There's still a battle that has to be fought. There's a peace that only comes on the other side of war, but you don't have to fight that war. You don't have to fight that battle. The only part in your only part in that battle is to say yes. And that, 
I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying it, 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 it doesn't take a lifetime to arrive at yes. But I'm saying that's your part at arriving at peace. Erene is something we receive, not something we manufacture. So, so the peacemakers, the manufacturers of peace are people working in line with the one who has bought the war. In Deuteronomy it says, You shall not fear, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. In Isaiah 26 it says, God keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Luke 1, 79 says, this, this is an interesting passage. This is, um, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist is the guy who's going to make Jesus known throughout the world. And, and Elizabeth goes to the temple, and there's this prophecy given over the baby that's in the womb. And it says this about this baby, that this baby will shine on those living in darkness, and then shadow, it, actually, I, I, back up a step. It pro, it's a prophecy about the message of this baby about Jesus. And it's, so it's, it's saying that this guy will tell you about Jesus who will do these things. And this is what it says Jesus will do. Shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet, feet into the path of Irene. That Jesus will bring darkness to light and shine on the path so that you can see completeness, wholeness, soundness. That was the work of God. Like I said, I want to spend a bunch of time on this passage because Irene in your life is one thing. Irene flowing out of you into the lives of others is something totally different. So when we look at the state of the world and we look at the turmoil in the world right now, what impact can we have on that? I think this peacemaker, this Irene Poyoy thing ties into all that as well. So two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about wholeness here promotes wholeness there. How it starts here and it impacts the world. But I want to close with this passage from, I want to go back to this. That God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. So here's my encouragement to you. When that brain balloon is going, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't maybe. Maybe it, maybe it does more often than not. But when it's going, Isaiah 26.3 would speak a lot into a proper response during that time. And what, what does it say to do? It says, fix your mind on him. That he will keep in perfect shalom those whose minds are set on him. So, so when you find yourself saying, what about this problem and that problem and this person who doesn't like me and this person who I offended and this person who I think is angry at me and this job that I hate and this, 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 this. There's this easy battle that can happen. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying you don't need medication. Please don't mishear me. But I'm saying part of the path towards Irene is a turning of the mind towards God. In those moments, you don't turn away from God. You don't fight God. You don't shake your fist at God. But you fix your mind on Him. You keep your mind on God. And John Wesley would say this in his poem, At Lying Down. I rest beneath the Almighty's shade. My griefs expire. My troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is safe, will keep me still in perfect peace.